0: Thank you, ladies. Praise the Lord and shame on the devil. Man, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to be here and excited about preaching today to you all and pray that God will bless and speak to every heart. Well, uh, uh, God has given me six children as Brother Van Gelderen mentioned and uh, all of them are serving the Lord faithfully. I have a son that just had his first anniversary in Louisville, Kentucky last Sunday. And had 55 in attendance last Sunday. Uh, and he's, he's just one year old. And uh, another pastor over in, in uh, Hunt Valley Baptist Church in, in Maryland. And then uh, son-in-law in Lawrence, Kansas. Scott Hanks is pastor there. And, and uh, then uh, my son-in-law down in, uh, is on staff at Fairhaven uh, Baptist College and Church down in Indiana. And uh, just they are all serving the Lord. Uh, then uh, we have 26 grandchildren looking forward to all of them serving the Lord in their life, getting old enough to get saved, and, and then uh, uh, trusting the Lord, and then surrendering their life for the Lord. We had, have um, uh, four of them in Bible college right now, uh, one that's graduated from Bible college, and then we have about 21 more coming along, and uh, looking forward to all of them serving God in some capacity. And that's the goal Uh, Man, get out there and reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's good to see you all involved in the soul Winning program here and telling people about Jesus. And uh, maybe some of you here today have never had the joy of leading somebody to Christ and you uh, you haven't done that yet. And these different individuals that have, and they did this past week, you think, Man, I wish I could win somebody to the Lord. Well, I tell you what, you be faithful and keep giving the message out and you can. And and you will be able to lead somebody to the Lord. Well, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, I ask you please to help us to look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, I pray that you would help me to leave out what you want me to leave out and preach what you want me to preach. And pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would lead me and direct me as I speak. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would meet spiritual needs in the lives of of these uh, young people. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity here pray that you bless Brother Van Gelderen. I've heard great things about the ministry here. And just pray that you would bless him and continue to bless him and put a hedge about here, keep the devil out at this place. And we'll be grateful for that. And please bless today in Jesus' name I pray, Amen. Now, uh, an 18-year-old girl in Washington State wrote this particular letter to a church that she had just attended. Dear church members. Last Sunday I attended your church, and I heard the preacher. In the sermon the preacher said that all men have sinned and rebelled against God. Because of their rebellion and disobedience they all faced eternal damnation and separation from God. But then he also said that God loved men and sent His Son Jesus Christ into the world to redeem men from their sins, and that all those who believe in Him would go to Heaven and live with God eternally. My parents recently died in rapid succession. I know they did not believe in Jesus Christ, whom you call the Savior of the world. If what you believe is true, they are damned. You compel me to believe that either the message is true, and that you yourself don't believe this message, or that you don't care. You see, we live only three blocks from your church, and no one ever hold us. Wow. That's quite a slap in the face, isn't it, to the Lord's people. What is 750,000 miles long? It would reach around the earth 30 times. That's the number of people in the world that have never heard the gospel, never trusted the Lord as their Savior. The line of people travel, uh, grows One mile every hour. 24 miles a day is added to that. And it's up to you and I to reach these people for the Lord Jesus Christ. They're all over the place and it's amazing. Uh, Next time you give a tract out it would be interesting to ask somebody, When's the last time somebody gave you one of these? I just about guarantee you that uh, most of the people say, nobody's ever gave me one of these before. You would think that everybody had been getting 10 or 20 or 30 of them at least. But most people haven't been given one. The priority throughout the Scripture actually is that we be involved in reaching people for the Lord Jesus Christ and bringing people to Christ. That's the theme. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was the purpose that He came. He found men who had been catching live fish and casting them aside to die. And then He called them to fish for men who were already dead in trespasses and sins and to make them alive by giving them Christ. Most Christians find other things to do in God's work other than fishing for men. I mean they do a lot of things. Soup kitchens, give people food, helping the needy, building homes for people. Sometimes that's involved in a group called Habitat for Humanity. Civic organizations joining them. But Christians have a much greater work to do than simply making the world a better place from which to go to hell from. We need to reach people for Christ. We forget that God has called us into fishing for men not to be keepers of the aquarium. You know, the Bible says, He that winneth souls is wise. He says, they that sow in, uh, they We must sow in tears, and they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, Bearing precious seeds shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, the, definite, or the definition of soul winning, of course, is a definite effort to lead a definite person to accept a definite Savior at a definite time. That's the definition of soul winning. Soul winning. And, uh, you know, almost an unknown individual won D.L. Moody to Christ. Almost an unknown individual won Charles Spurgeon to Christ. What if you led the next Charles Spurgeon to Christ this past week? What if you don't know what the person might do that, that you uh, reach for the Lord? You don't know what effect your life and will have upon people. I, I think it's interesting when I think about, uh, oh, about three or four years ago, I got a telephone call from a fella he says, this is Jack Woodard. Do you remember me? And I said, no. He said, well, I was two two years younger than you in high school in Brunswick, Missouri. Now that explains it. When you're in high school, you don't pay any attention to anybody younger than you. (laughs) I mean, if they're your age or older, okay. But if they're younger than you, they're nobody. Right? And so I didn't know this fellow, Jack Woodard, but he said, I was watching you. And I knew that you had something that I didn't have. And I wanted what you had that gave you joy and gave you, it looked like you had peace in your life. And and I wanted that. And I didn't know what it was, but I was too uh, bashful to come up and ask you. So I followed you around. And I watched you and watched what you did and watched what you didn't do. I even followed you to church. And I kept asking people what Roger had that, that I don't have. And finally somebody said, he has Christ and you don't. And they led him to Christ and he got saved. And he says, I'm an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, Baptist preacher in Mendenhall, Mississippi today because of your testimony in high school. Whoa. I didn't even know I was affecting anybody, Brother Van Gelderen. And do you know that you don't know who is watching you? You don't know who you're affecting. And everything that you do can have a positive or a negative effect upon. Uh, people that you come, un- come in contact with, everything that you do, your attitude, your spirit, how you respond to people, how you act in the, in the uh, line at the grocery store or when somebody waits on you and whenever they give you the wrong change and your attitude toward things like that and whatever. Uh, people are watching you and we need to exemplify the Lord Jesus Christ 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year all the time. Uh, do you know that Spurgeon said, If I were utterly selfish and had no care for anything but my own happiness, I would choose, if I might, under God to be a soul winner. For never did I know perfect, overflowing, utter- utterable happiness of the pursuit and the most ennobling order until I first heard one who had uh, sought and found the Savior through my means. He had an amazing way of putting things. Uh, Spurgeon did. Do you know uh, when was the last time that you actually led somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm 73 years old. I'm still involved in soul winning. Still tell people about Jesus. Still hand out tracts. You ought to be too. George W. Truett said, The bringing of one soul to Jesus is the highest achievement possible to, human, to, the, to, to the human life. Uh, another person said, It is the Christian's business to populate heaven and depopulate hell. The scriptures are clear about this priority in the Bible. In Genesis, Noah preached for over a hundred years and only had seven, pros- seven converts, his uh, three sons. Their three wives and his, his, himself, he was saved. He, and and uh, all that time and only those few pro, pro, uh, uh, converts. Do you know that Jeremiah, as far as I can tell, didn't have any converts, but you'd say he's successful. So the key is not how many you went to Christ. The key is are you in the, in the uh, work of doing it. Telling people about Jesus, and God will bring people your way. Do You know, uh, in Exodus 32, it says, And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and made them gods of gold. And now, if thou wilt, forgive their sin. And if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Do you think Moses was concerned about souls? Thinking that he would rather go to hell than not be able to win his people. How much do we care when Saturday soul-winning time comes along and you're ready to go out soul-winning? Boy, I tell you what, we got to do this for two hours. I sure be glad when this two hours is over, man. Uh, you know. Uh, and so on. Is that the way you look forward to it? Or on uh, Monday you start dreaming about Saturday, Lord? Somebody out there wants to know you. I pray, Lord, that Holy Spirit that you would lead me to somebody that's looking for you. And Lord, if you'll lead them by my path, or if you'll lead the, uh, uh, me by their path, then I'll be try to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God and and talk to them. And have you ever met somebody that was actually looking for Christ? Whenever you uh, talk to them. It's happened to me many times in my life, and I pray quite often that, Lord, help me to be able to uh, be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. I was driving by a house one day, and uh, the Lord said, hey, stop there at that house. I said, Lord, I don't know anybody at that house. And he said, you heard what I said. Well, okay, Lord. And so I turned around, went back, and drove in the driveway, parked my car, and went up to the door, knocked on the door. And a lady answered the door. When the lady answered the door, I said, ma'am, you don't know me. And I don't know you, but I was driving by your house just a minute ago, and the Lord said, Stop here and see you. Are you having problems? And that lady just broke down in tears, and in about 20 or 30 minutes, there at the door, she accepted the Lord Jesus as her Savior, and praised the Lord for that, but me we need to let the Holy Spirit lead us in our life. Um, the Bible says in Matthew chapter four, and he saith unto them, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." And straightway they left their nets and followed Him. And it was a wonderful thing uh, that God just uh, went around and got His disciples, and they followed Him. There was a letter. Now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen, and lo, there were many fish in the waters all around, and in fact the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish, and the fish were hungry. Week after week, and month after month, and year after year, those who called themselves fishermen met in meetings, and they talked about their call to fish, and the abundance of fish, and how they might go about fishing. And year after year they carefully defined what fishing meant. And and they defended fishing as an occupation and declared that fishing is always to be the primary task of the fishermen. Continually they searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. These fishermen built a large beautiful building called the fishing station. And the plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. But the one thing they didn't do, however, they didn't fish. After one stirring meeting in the fishing station on the necessity of fishing, one young fellow left the meeting and went fishing. The next day he reported that he had caught two outstanding fish. He was honored for his excellent catch and scheduled to visit all the big meetings possible to tell how he did it. So he quit fishing in order to have time to tell about the experience to other fishermen. Imagine how hurt. Some were one day when a person suggested that those who don't catch fish are really not fishermen. No matter how much they claim to be, yet it did sound correct. If a person is a person a fisherman, if year after year he never catches a fish, is one a fisherman if he doesn't fish? Can you be a soul winner if you don't go? Cannot. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Daniel says in Daniel 12, 3, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever. Oh, why don't we believe the Word of God? Why don't we believe God when He tells us something? When He says that, that that how wise it is to win souls, and how you'll shine as the brightness of the firmament whenever whenever you win souls to Christ, and so on. Now, we call uh, soul winning a lot of different things. The Bible calls it soul winning, and the Great Commission calls it preach the gospel to every creature. Acts 1 calls it witnessing. The Lord says it's fishing for men, or seeking to save that which is lost. Our world today refers to it sometimes as visitation, evangelization, But whatever we call it, we're commanded to do it because um, it is wise to do and it's in the Word of God and it's instructions for us to go out and tell people about Jesus. Now if you're a student here and if you go through four years of college and you never go soul winning and you never tell people about Jesus, then you're wicked. You're wicked. You're not doing the job that a Christian ought to do. Uh, Really, we need to be involved in this thing of soul winning. One day there was a man in my church in New York, when I started a church there, and uh, didn't start the church in, in New York, but, but uh, uh, was pastoring there. And uh, this guy's name was Joe Botancio. He was driving down the road, and all of a sudden, he came upon an accident. And there was a car that was upside down over on the side of the road, and it was on fire he jumped out of his car and ran over and there were already about 15 or 20 people that were standing around looking and he ran over to the car and opened the door the car was upside down and the 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 driver was, was hanging there, but he couldn't get his seatbelt off because it was stuck because of his weight pulling on the seatbelt, and he couldn't get it undone. So he ran over and said, Anybody have a knife? Anybody have a knife? And so he finally got a knife, and he ran back over, and, and he took the knife, and he sawed the, the seatbelt in two. And the man then fell down into his arms, and he got him out of the car, and he was burnt so bad that he lost both of his legs. And he did live through it, and uh, a couple of weeks later, then Joe Batashi was able to lead this young man or this man to the Lord Jesus Christ and so on. But I'm just thinking, well, if those people standing over there just watching would have helped him to start with. They could have got him out of the car without that. There was another accident, just just real close timing with that, not at the same place but a different area. And uh, uh, six people were in the vehicle, and the vehicle caught on fire. One guy stopped, and he ran over there, and he got three of the people out of the vehicle. But there were about 20 people that were standing there watching, and they didn't help. And three of the other people, the other three people burned to death. Nobody cared. They let him die without Christ. What a horrible thing, a sad thing that mankind would look uh, at other men and not help. And how many of you have rescued somebody from hell fire in the last six months? How many of you have done that? The Bible says, how can they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Uh- 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent Him. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. He says in Ephesians 6.15, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. James 5.20, Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Revelation 22.17, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that is a a heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life uh, freely. You know, the priority in Scripture is is that we be involved in bringing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a priority in Scripture. Uh, The Scripture says in, in 1 Corinthians 9, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel, for if I do this thing willingly I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Paul had a Great attitude toward soul winning in Acts chapter 20 where he says, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying, The bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God." Paul said in Romans chapter one verse sixteen: For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Sometimes we uh, are influenced by the world; we get to where we're bashful and we're ashamed, and we don't want to uh, be involved in soul winning because we're embarrassed and so on. But but man, we need to be involved. Do you know that? I believe that it, it does help a whole bunch when you pray before you go soul winning. I was in Pine Bluff, Arkansas years ago pastoring there. And I would just gotten there. I have been there uh, th- a few weeks. And one of my men came to me and said, Hey, preacher, would you go visit my brother with me and try to win him to the Lord? And I said, Well, sure, I'd love to do that. And he said, uh, "said Okay. Oh, by the way, I need to tell you that uh, the last preacher that was here, uh, I took him over to see my brother. And he slammed the door in, my, in, in a in." my other preacher's face. I says, oh, okay. And then he, he said, oh, uh, then I need to tell you that the preacher that was before him, uh, I asked him to go see my brother too, and, and we went up the door, and he wouldn't even answer the door. You know, oh okay and so what do you want me to go over there so this guy can tell me off or something you know and <laughs> anyway uh, I said well listen uh, when we, uh, we we need to set this up and let's set it up a couple of weeks from now and we set it up and on that day we did go but the two weeks before that I was praying I said Lord I'm going to go over here and see this guy and try to bring him to you but Lord he's had some experiences where he's been non-receptive and he hasn't even allowed the other preachers to even talk to him. His brother's concerned for him and Lord I'm concerned for him but, but unless you work a miracle I'm not going to get anywhere either because I'm not much different than those other preachers. Lord would you do something, do something to help me to at least get the gospel to him so he can make a choice of whether to accept or reject our Savior. And so the day came and, and uh, this guy's name was Brother Talley. And Brother Tally got in my car, and we were on our way over there. And on the way over there, I said, Now, Brother Talley, uh, I'm going to do the talking. You just be quiet. You just uh, pray for me in, in your heart as I'm talking to this fella. And um, we'll just trust the Lord to take care of it. And so he said, Okay. I knew I needed to give him that instruction, because I knew, knew that uh, otherwise he might interfere with the uh, uh, program. And so now this... Uh, <laughs> This house was a quadruplex. It had two apartments on the bottom and two apartments on the top. It had a stairway on the left side and the right side. And uh, this man's brother lived on the upstairs on the left-hand side. We get out of the car and we walk up to the stairs and I start to knock on the door and God did something that had never happened to me before. I started weeping. I knocked on the door and Tears were running down my face. And Mr. Talley's brother opened the door just a little bit. And I said, Mr. Mr. Talley, tears just running down my face. I could hardly talk. And I said, we need to talk to you. And he didn't know what to do. Because he'd never seen somebody standing at his door weeping. And And I wasn't doing it on purpose. I had never done that before. And so he says, well, uh, uh, come on on in. Now we've gotten further than we would ever gotten before. (laughs) And we sat around his kitchen table. And I went through the plan of salvation with him. And about 30 minutes later, Mr. Talley's brother prayed and asked Jesus to save him. Do you know that sometimes if we really cared, God would let you win somebody to the Lord? If you were willing to shed a tear, God would let you win somebody to the Lord. If we really spent some effort in it, God would let you win somebody to the Lord. We had a lady in our church in New York, the last church that I pastored for 14 years there in Lyons, New York, and uh, uh <clears throat> the reason she was in church is her son and, and his wife had been coming to church and, and I found out where they lived and I went and visited them, knocked on their door and said, man, why don't you come to church? And, and she says, I don't believe in God. She, she was an atheist. And I said, well, man, you need to come to church anyway, you know, and, and finally uh, I talked her into coming to church, her and her husband. So they came to church and she was a member of Mensa. Anybody know what Mensa is? All right, a few of you do. Uh, are you all members of it? <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, mem- uh, Menza is that or- an organization that you have to have an IQ of like 140 even to apply. I mean you have to be extremely intelligent to belong to Menza. This is only for the super elite smart people. That's who it's for. And she was a member of Menza. Now, me, uh, I wouldn't even be able to get to the first door of Menza, you know. I, but anyway, uh, so she came to church. And I was praying and said, God, do something. Do something to her heart. Lord, she's not saved. She doesn't even believe you exist. And after about five weeks, she came to church about five weeks in a row. And after church one morning, she says, Preacher, I just want you to know that I'm not coming back. I don't believe this stuff, and I'm not coming back anymore. And I says, Oh, no, you need to come back. You need to. You know. And, and so she went home with a determination never to come back to our church about two weeks went by, and I went by that God laid it on my heart to go by and knock on her door. So I went by and knocked on her door. She comes to the door, and she says, What are you doing here? I told you I wasn't coming back. And I said, Well, I just thought I'd stop and see if, you know, how women change their minds. And <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd try. And she says, No, no, I'm not coming back. I'm through. I don't believe that stuff. And, and then about two weeks later, God laid it on my heart again. And I went by and I knocked on the door again. She comes to the door and she says, Good night. What are you doing here? And I says, I came by to invite you to church. And and man, you need to come. And she says, No, I don't believe that stuff. I'm not coming back. You don't need to come anymore. Well, uh, several, many weeks went by. And about every two weeks I'd go by and see her for a minute. She was always on my way to town. Her house was right there. It was easy to stop. And and so I did. And uh, one day... I get a telephone call, and she has a garage with a dirt floor in it, and she wanted to pour concrete in the garage, and it was all set up and ready to pour the concrete, but she didn't have anybody to do it. And she said, Hey, preacher, could you get somebody, and I'll pay them good, to come down and screet the concrete off when the cement truck comes to deliver this cement to pour this garage and I said, sure, I'll get somebody. Whenever you, when are you going to do it? She told me. And so that particular day I had gotten one of my men and myself. And we went down to her house and uh, fixed her garage and did the cement for her garage. After we all got all done, she reached in her, in her purse and, and tried to give us each $100. And I said, ma'am, I didn't do this for money. I did this because we love you. And she tried to give it to the guy that was helping and he said, no, 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 if the preacher's not taking I'm not taking nothing either. <laughs> and she said, well, surely I can do something. I said, oh, hey, I just thought of something. <laughs> I said, would you, would you come to church a few more times? Well, I guess I could do that. And so she started coming to church. And after about two weeks of coming to church again, she had gone to the doctor and got a report that she had cancer and it was in late stages. So I went to see her and I said, Martha, you're going to die and you need to be saved. And she says, No, 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 no. You've talked to me about that many times. No, no, no. And we'd talked to her about the Lord many times, several times. And my wife and I went down to southern Pennsylvania. I had a revival to preach down there. And then. On the way back home, I said, Sweetheart, we no need to go by the hospital to see Martha. We need to try one more time to win her to the Lord before she goes home to goes to hell or whatever. And so we stopped by the hospital and uh went in, talked to her, and Martha, you sure need to get saved. And she says, Oh, no, 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 not not today, not today. Now she used to say, I don't believe none of that stuff, and but now she has changed it to not today, not today. So I went home, and, and the next night it got to be up past visiting hours. It was after 8 o'clock, and at the hospitals they closed visiting hours at 8 o'clock. But she was so heavy on my heart that I said, Man, I, sweetheart, I've got to go back to see Martha. And so I got my car and drove the 20 miles or so to the hospital. And the preachers can get in just about any time. All you've got to do is pretend you're a doctor. And... <laughs> Uh, Go into the hospital, and anyway, I went to her room, and and she'd already had the gospel given to her many, many times, and she knew all about it. And I just looked down at Martha, and her daughter was sitting right across the bed from her, and I said, Martha, why don't you just give up and get saved? And she looked up and says, Okay. And then a few minutes later, Martha asked Jesus to save her. Sometimes we give up on people. She got born again, and then after, after the prayer, she prayed and asked the Lord to save her. Then she opened her eyes, and she says, I don't know why I didn't do that a long time ago. Wow! And I said, I don't know either. It would have saved me an awful lot of work. That Martha got saved and one of the reasons that I know that she really meant it and it was really serious in her heart is she lived like two weeks after that And but about a week after that I was at the hospital visiting her and she says Preacher I heard you announce that you wanted the church to pray that God would provide a paper cutter for the Bible assembly ministry that you all have. Would you hand me my checkbook? She wrote me out a check for $3,000 to pay for a paper cutter. Man, when God gets your soul, he gets your pocketbook too. And she gave that money for the paper cutter. I thought, man, she she got it. She really got saved. She's born again. And uh, I was there in the hospital when she breathed her last breath and just very peacefully closed her eyes and went to be with the Lord. Then we had the funeral. After the funeral, her son walked up to me, Brother Van Gelder, and handed me an envelope. Usually, you know, when we do a funeral, the family will give you $50 or maybe $100 or something like that as a gift. And and that's very appreciated. But I opened up the envelope and looked, and there was $1,000 in the envelope with a note. I told my son he had to give you this at the funeral. so it pays to go soul winning. <laughs> you need to be involved in telling people about Jesus and you know and involved in winning people to the Lord. Uh, you know uh, they say that only one in seven thousand people over the age of sixty five get saved. only one in seven thousand. I was preaching up in in uh, Cronenwetter, Wisconsin, the other day at Brother Moody's. Not the, well, a year ago. I, I was preaching there the other day too, but, but a year ago. And three older ladies came to the altar. All of them between 88 and 95. Two of them got born again, and one got the, her assurance <coughs> of salvation. She'd already saved, but she didn't know what she was man, it's fun to serve God. It's fun to win somebody to the Lord. It's fun to say, but I was in Lyons, New York, and God burdened me about the uh, county supervisor there uh, in the city. He was uh, 90-some years old, 92 or 3, something like that. And so I went over to his house, and we had met each other at at McDonald's. He would go to McDonald's just about any time I was at McDonald's, he was there. And so I went to his house, knocked on his door, and he says, Hey, preacher, come on in. And I went in, we sat down in a chair, and, and he was Roman Catholic. And his name is Jim Fabino. And I said, Jim, I got to talk to you about going to heaven. You're getting old, and you're going to die someday. And you need to know whether you're going to heaven or not. Are you, are you going to heaven when you die? He said, Well, I, I hope so. But uh, we showed him in the Bible how to be saved, and he got saved. and I could tell you many, many different illustrations about winning people to Christ. And listen, you just need to be about it all the time. I was going—I went to O'Hare Airport, and I was a few years ago. I was going to fly to El Paso, Texas, where I had started a church in 1984. There, and I was on my way back home uh, from a meeting that I was at, and uh, I had a pocket full of tracks when I got to the gate there, where they're going to load people onto the plane, and. And so I thought, well, man, I've got plenty of time. I may as well pass out these tracks. So I went around passing out tracks and talking to people a little bit about the Lord and and got all done with that. Then they started calling people to get on the plane. Well, this particular plane, all of the seats were facing the front of the plane except the first row when you went in there were three seats on this side and three seats on this side facing the back. And I always like to watch what's going on. So I thought, well, I'll just sit down there. The, there's three seats in front of me, and the three seats facing everybody else. So there were six seats there, and I sat down in the one by the aisle. Well, when I was passing out tracks, I, <coughs> I passed out a couple of tracks to this family that were five people in the family, a man and his wife and three kids. And they get on the plane, and they see five seats there. They all sat down. The mom and dad sat across from me, and then the kids sat down, and so um, I had a captive audience all the way to Denver, Colorado. I said, "Where are you all going?" They said, "Denver." And I said, "Oh, you on vacation?" And they said, "Oh no, uh, my daddy died, and we're going to the kid's grandpa's funeral." And I said, "Oh, that's that's so sad. I'm sorry about your daddy." And we talked for a while. Asked them the question. Where are you going to go when you die? And before we got to Denver, the mom and dad and one of the kids got saved. The other two kids were too small. But you can win people to Christ anywhere. Anywhere. You ought to pray. And you ought to say, Lord, somebody in Menominee Falls or Milwaukee, somebody wants to know you, Lord. Somebody's looking for you. I have no idea who in the world it is. Would you lead me to them or lead them to me and help me to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit? You'll just tap me on the shoulder in some way and say, hey, there he is. There she is. That's the person. Talk to them. And Lord, I promise I'll try my best to pay attention to you and talk to that individual. You'd be amazed at the number of people I've been able to lead to Christ in my life that God just said, hey, that person right over there. That's the person to talk to. And I go over there and talk to him, and God had already been speaking to him. People had already been sowing a bunch of seed in his life, and so on, and and he gets born again. We need to understand that God wants people saved more than you want them saved. And he'll answer your prayer if you're serious about it. Wonder if we could have every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. I know that you believe in soul winning, or at least your teachers do and your preacher does. And if you don't, you need to believe in soul winning. Some of you have been practicing it even this past week. And three or four of you have led somebody to Christ in the past week. But I would just about guarantee it that some of you have never led anybody to Christ. You're maybe embarrassed. Maybe you're so bashful you're just afraid to talk to people. You need to ask God to give you boldness. You need to ask God to forgive you for your lack of courage. You need to get things right with God about this thing of soul winning. Let me just ask you, and I don't know your name. If you gave me $1,000, I couldn't tell you three people's name in this room. But if God's speaking to your heart, just slip your hand up and let me remember you in prayer. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Let's all stand for prayer.